of the all of the characters that we've studied so far are and will are in the in the Old Testament, um, and and so they don't have a a complete understanding of who Jesus is, and yet they're exemplifying uh, what our faith should look like. Um, our passage this morning will be in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 29, and you can turn there now if you would like, but uh, I want to start with a short story about uh, something that happened not too long ago. So I was listening to the radio. I listen to sports radio a lot. I'm in, the, I'm in my work truck a lot, and so I was driving, and, and each year about uh, the end of uh, middle to end of July, there's uh, something that happens on sports radio, on ESPN radio in particular. And uh, they play this speech. Now, this speech is one of the most iconic speeches of my generation. I know I'm not that old, and I'm sure, I have, I'm sure I'll hear something better at some point. But this is one of the most iconic speeches of my generation. This is a famous speech by uh, Jimmy V. Jimmy, Jim Valvano was a basketball coach. He was a player, a broadcaster. And in 1992, he developed cancer, and he, and he died in, in 1993. And before he died, he gave this famous speech at the ESPN ESPY Awards. And at the end of his speech, he, he, he charged these people to not give up. Don't ever give up. They've raised millions uh, of, of dollars for, for research, for cancer research. Um, all of the money goes straight to cancer research, and they, they play this each year, and, and it's really a charge each year to the people um, that watch and listen to ESPN to not give up, that we're constantly in this fight. The writer of Hebrews here is doing the same thing for these people that he's writing to. He's charging these people to not give up their faith. They're under intense persecution. Intense persecution from the Romans, and intense persecution from the Jewish people. The point of, of this hall of faith is, is that each one, each time that we look at one of these characters, the writer is, is trying to pull out something for those that are going to be reading this letter. Some sort of, of faith from each one. And they all look different. We've studied Cain and Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, and now the people of Israel is where we stop today. It's, it's interesting that hardly any of these guys were good guys. Hardly any of them. And yet God is using them to exemplify what our faith should look like. Two weeks ago, Pastor Phil talked about Moses and, and how God was working through him. He first talked about how God's hand was on this on Moses as a child. He was beautiful when he was born. How his hand was on him when his mother placed him in a basket in the Nile. How his hand was on him as he grew up with Pharaoh as his uncle. How his hand was on him even as he under started understanding the plight of his people. His hand was on him as he murdered an Egyptian. And his hand was on him as he left Egypt. 
But God didn't stop there with, with Noah, or with Moses, with Noah, with, with Moses. His hand was on this man, and he was chosen for a purpose, and that was to bring these people out of the land of Egypt. He left the luxuries and the decadence that, that came with living as royalty in the land of Egypt. He left a wandering man as he murdered an Egyptian and came back an empowered man through God. Scripture says in the verses preceding what we're going to study today, by faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated uh, with, the with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ far greater than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking forward to a reward. Moses wasn't just looking to be mistreated to be mistreated. He's not some kind of masochist, but, but understood uh, at some level that God had a bigger plan for these people. And he understood that God was going to be using him for a purpose. It, it, it's interesting, God brought him back as a stuttering man to be his mouthpiece. That way, only God could get the glory for what was happening, not some stuttering man that's incompetent in every area. The people of Egypt wanted... Uh, one of their slaves gone so bad after, after this last plague that had taken place that they were forcing them out of Egypt. They're giving them all of their riches, all of their gold, their silver. The, the Israelites are, are basically plundering them at this point for everything they have. And I'm sure, and I'm speculating because it doesn't say in Scripture, I'm sure they weren't being nice about it. They were just slaves, and now they're freed, and there's probably a lot of rubbing it in their face. The Israelites had to be thinking that they were on easy street now. That had to have been going through their mind. We were slaves a day ago. Now we're leaving, extremely rich. We have gold and silver in our pockets. God's on our side, and everything's going to be great and dandy and easy. God, though, God had other plans for them. With that as our backdrop, Let's read our passage this morning. It's short, um, again, in Hebrews eleven twenty nine, And then I'll ask a blessing on our time. The writer of Hebrews states, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, by faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, I pray this morning that, that we would be able to pull out these truths of Scripture. Lord, another way to exemplify our faith, as small as it may be, Lord, let us look to you as the founder and perfecter of our faith. Lord, I pray that, that these truths would become real in our lives that the faith that we exemplify that would be seen by those around us, those in our circle of influence. 
Lord, that others would look at us and say, man, they have a lot of faith in such hard times, in such good times. Lord, let, let you get glory from our lives. Lord, we pray that you would get the glory from what was said, what is being said this morning. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I began my study of, uh, of, of this passage, we, we quick, it quickly points us to a, another passage, Exodus 14, and you can turn there. We're going to be back and forth between these two this morning. And, and what we see is, is when we read this episode in Scripture, that it, it seems like the Israelites aren't showing very much faith at all. It seems like, like they're having a hard time believing in what this God is. Now mentally they had a, they had a grasp of, of what they had been taught, what had been passed down from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob through Joseph, through generations and generations. So they understood with a mental capacity of who God was, but they have a hard time showing faith in this God. So we'll pick up the story in, in, in verse 5, in Exodus 14. Moses says, When the king of Egypt was told the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh, uh, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed towards the people. And they said, What is this that we have done, that, we've let, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him. It took 600 of his chosen chariots and other chariots of Egypt, of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel. While the people of Israel were going out defiantly, the, Egyptian, the Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, his horsemen and his army, and overtook them and camped by the sea, by, I'm terrible with names, so I apologize, I'm going to skip over that one, in front of Baal Zephon. When Pharaoh drew near, the, when, when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them. And they feared greatly, and the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. And they said to Moses, is this because there are no graves in Egypt? that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not what, what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would have been far better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Wow. We, we read that, and... and we, we look at the nation of Israel as a whole over the course of time and, and, and we see the kind of faith that they exemplify and yet this is more like the nation of Israel than it's not. We look at, we look at their, their history and this is more how they act towards God than they don't. There's times in our lives when when there's these barriers that God brings up in our lives. And one of them is, is, is 
a lot of it is, is, is ourselves. First, first, these barriers to our faith is, is our love of sin. These people loved to grumble. The, the barrier before these people first is, is, is they're on the edge of the, uh, of the Red Sea. And there's, there's some thought of to where this actually is. We don't actually know where this actually is, but there's some good scientific proof one place over the other, but we don't need to get into that. Uh, they've been trapped in, essentially. They're trapped with the Red Sea on one side and, and a mountainous area on the other side of them, and there's no place for them to go. God's asking these people to trust him. That's it. Just trust me in this. I've brought you out of Egypt. You've seen me do incredible things. I'm asking you to trust me. And that's it. But they can't. They can't. The issue is these people have a grumbling problem, and it's not grumbling like it's a one-time thing. This is a hard issue for these people. They don't trust in God. They love their sin. They love themselves. And you see that in our passage. There's something comforting about, about our sin. There's something comforting knowing that, that we love this these things in our lives. Something that I can kind of trust. Something that I know is always there because we're all sinful. We're all reaching out for these uh, ancillary things in our lives, whether it's money, whether it's your uh, possessions, whether it's your own family. Any of these things that we put above God, these are the sins that we're talking about. Something that Pastor Phil said in a sermon a, a, a few weeks ago, really struck me as I was listening to it. He said, he said, the things that God really cares about it isn't our school. It's not our school work. It's not our, the jobs that we go to. It's not the sports that we play. It's not our accomplishments. But really what God cares about is where our heart is. When our heart is not with God, we are in a sinful state. When our heart is not pointed towards God and desiring the thing that, things that God desires, we're in a sinful state. If you don't think so, I'm going to read a short passage from Romans 1. Paul here is writing to Christians, um, and, and, and really, it's, it's very much the same state as, as the the writer of Hebrews. He's writing to people that need encouragement, that are under intense persecution. And he says, starting in verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what, what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for, the image, for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, 
and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. We don't know all of the sinfulness that was taking place in this, in this group of people. But, but what we do know is that, that they have this heart issue towards God. And they're loving themselves more than God. It's the focus behind their grumbling. We can ask God why. Why is this happening, God? I don't understand this. That's not a sin. But really, when it becomes sinful is when it is exemplified from our hearts. The second thing we see is, and I've already talked about, the love of self. We see these people uh, are not believing in God. They're not believing in God and what he's done in their midst. He's turned the Nile River. I watched a short documentary this morning on the Nile River. It's the longest river in the world. And he turned the river into blood. Like, that's pretty incredible. He brought plagues of locusts and frogs. He, took, he turned the day into night. And yet these people were incapable of believing because they're too worried about their own skin. I think what they were believing in was that Moses was the face of this. They could see Moses and not see God. And so they had, I think, a supreme confidence, and when Moses said something and it was done, they had a supreme confidence in Moses, but not in God at this point. As Moses worked through these plagues and they got to the final one, I think their ears perked up. As this angel of death was coming, as Moses gave them the exact things that they needed to follow. And they followed those, and they were saved. And their sons were saved. But to say they had a trust in God at this point, I think would be a stretch. These are the same people that have seen the plagues. They've seen all all of this. And they'll go on and they'll cross the Red Sea. We know the end of the story, so I'm not, there's no spoiler alert here. But they'll cross the Red Sea. They'll see God manifesting himself in the pillar of fire and smoke. They'll see God manifesting himself on Mount Sinai. And yet, they continue to not trust in God. When Moses sent the spies into the land of Canaan, and the spies came back, and, and they were all afraid, except for two, Joshua and Caleb. God rebuked them, saying this in Numbers 14.11. Remember, they've, they've seen God work in so many ways, so many powerful ways. And God says this about these people, these same people that crossed the Red Sea. And the Lord said to Moses, I think it's interesting that that Moses being the writer of Exodus, here in Numbers as well, that Moses talks about himself in the third person. I just find that interesting. How long will these people despise me, God says, and how long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs that I have done among them? 
God himself is, is asking Moses, why, how long till these people start believing in me? They don't believe in me as God. Because they're too focused on themselves. These barriers are in place uh, not to frustrate us. These barriers to our faith are not there to frustrate us. But, to, but to, for us to put our faith in God. For us to put our faith in Jesus. And that's what this writer of Hebrews is drawing out. That our faith can't be in ourselves. They can't be in what we do. These people have seen the horrors of slavery, and we don't know exactly what those look like in Egypt, but we can only look back a couple hundred years to, to our own, to the slavery that, that happened here in America, and be able to see what the horrors of slavery look like. Those can't be good. When, when I read this passage a few weeks ago, I, I got stuck at a certain point. I got stuck on this idea that, that they would have rather gone back to slavery than to die. It would have been far better for us for you to just leave us in slavery, for these people to beat us all day and mistreat us. Remember, at, at some point, Pharaoh laid down an edict to kill the babies. They were just throwing babies into the Nile. That would be far better than for us to die in the wilderness. How short-sighted of these people. Moses knew firsthand the other side of of the slavery issue. He, he knew the decadence of all of this. These same people that were serving the Egyptians were serving him. He was living in Pharaoh's house and he was living the easy life. He himself said that he would rather leave these fleeting pleasures than to uh, not follow Christ. Because he saw a greater reward than what was here. Loving ourselves is, is such a shallow and fleeting pleasure. Uh, and I can tell you many stories from my own experience. But this is why we kept, keep pressing forward. This is why we keep trusting Jesus, who is the founder and perfecter of our faith. But, but how is this faith produced in these people? That's what we really need to get at because, as I said, I don't think that these people really had a trust in who God was. Again, they understood him mentally, but this faith needed to be produced out of them. It needed to be drawn out. God knew it was in there, but it needed to be drawn out. Our faith is written under intense pressure. Faith is, is rarely produced um, easily. I've got a saying that I use sometimes that some people it comes to, to, to know Jesus it, it, it takes tripping over a crack and others it takes falling off a cliff. And we can look at many uh, testimonies and be able to see those stories. Some people believe at, at a young age and never stop believing. And yet others it takes a lifetime. Others it takes 
many hard issues in their life. But I don't think that, I, I think that it's hard for us to grasp what intense pressure looks like. My brother, uh, who's a nurse, was an ICU nurse for a long time. Uh, I was talking to him about uh, his job, and, and, and one of the things that he said is, not everybody's used to crazy. Not everybody's used to crazy. When you're not used to crazy, crazy is really crazy. He was an ICU nurse. He worked in, uh, in the surgical ICU. He held people's lives in, their, in his hands. And, and when you're used to crazy, crazy's normal. It's his, his faith and his abilities were developed under intense pressure. But why must our faith be formed under intense pressure? The materials and the experiences that we carry around are only formed under similar pressure. As I said, some people, it takes falling off, tripping over a crack, and others, it takes falling off a cliff. Nonetheless, our faith and how it grows is developed under intense pressure. Jesus is the composer of this faith. The Israelites were stuck. They're stuck between a rock and a hard place, literally. Canyons on one side and a sea on the other. There's 600 choice chariots from Egypt bearing down on them, and they weren't coming to have dinner. Pharaoh's angry. They're coming, and they're going to slaughter these people. They're not going to be taking them back as slaves, I don't think. Maybe some, but many were going to be killed. This intense pressure, this decision on whether to follow God or not, did not become easier, but it did become more clear. It became more clear for these people. God wouldn't even give these people a choice. He created a barrier between the Egyptians and his people. He created this barrier with the pillar of fire, pillar of smoke, and with an angel that's protecting them. There's nothing that anyone can do to talk to either side. The Egyptians can't pursue them any farther, and the, and, and the Israelites cannot go and talk to them, because that's what they wanted to do. They wanted to go and talk to these Egyptians and ask for their slavery back. God wouldn't allow it. While some of the people were grumbling uh, to God, uh, they at the same at the same point were trying to come back with a way to come up with a way to get back to Egypt to save their skin. Even at this point, they were doing this. This was not God's plan, though. God's God's plan was to help them form their faith. Uh, just like many miracles that we see in Scripture, uh, the hardest ones to believe are the ones that haven't happened yet. Think about the the first time that that God raised a man from the dead. Think how unbelievable that would have been. And I talked about that in my last sermon, that uh, uh, Elijah, the first time, was the first person to raise somebody from the dead with the power of God. Think about the faith that that took. God, this had never happened before. And now God is asking these people to walk a, 
walk through the sea on dry land. It's incredible. It takes incredible faith. As I've already alluded to, but I haven't given you the reference yet, that, that Jesus is the founder and perfecter of our faith. That um, As we turn back to Hebrews 11, you can look back there if you, if you would like. Uh, and I'm probably stealing some thunder here for in, in a few weeks, but I think this plays right into our passage this morning. Starting in verse 39, the writer of Hebrews says, And all these, though commanded, uh, commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should, be, they should not be made perfect. Therefore, in chapter 12, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a, such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings to us so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus as the founder and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and seated at the right hand of the throne of God. With joy, with joy, Jesus endured the cross, the writer of Hebrews said. The pain that we read about that Jesus was going through, and yet the writer of Hebrews can tell us that, that he faced this with joy. How could that be? How could, how could he face something so painful and so dreadful with joy? Because he understood the purpose. He asked God to take, the, his, his father to take this away from him. But he knew what the outcome of that was. He knew the outcome for, for us as, as a human race to be saved from an eternal, eternity in hell that we don't deserve anything but hell. The only way that we are saved from that is by the shedding of blood of a perfect lamb. This is the Messiah that that the Israelites believed in. This is the Messiah they talked about throughout the Old Testament. And with that joy, Jesus walked himself to his death for our sakes. As I stated earlier, it appears that, that these people had no faith. And, th and that this could be more of a study of of how not to act or how not to believe than, than it is to believe. But God's preparing them for something great here. God's preparing them for something great. The, the faith that, that we have the day that we believe in Jesus is not the same faith that we have a year from now. It's not the same faith that we have 10 years. It's the same with these people. They understood with a mental capacity of who God was, but weren't believing with their hearts yet. And God was about to draw that out of them. Next, we see that, that Jesus is the creator of the circumstances that we go through. You see, 
you can see in our passage the Trinity working in unison, the, the, the circumstances, um, the, the narrative, uh, in the narrative of Moses here, he writes about this encounter with the Lord. In verse 14, he says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp again to this other name between Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For, Fer for Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, They are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will, and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. So these people have left Egypt. They're wandering through, through the desert. God's directing their path and says, says to them, you know what, I've changed my mind. You guys took a wrong turn. I need you to turn these two, three million people around and we need to go uh, back the way we just came. That seems like, like a bad trip to me, right? There was no, there was no GPS. There was, no, there was nothing directing them but God. And God's saying, wait a minute. I've come up with a new plan. I need you to stop what you're doing, turn around, and I need you to, I need you to trap yourself in next to this sea. This will only be the first of many tests of these people. And we see that all throughout the Exodus story, all throughout Numbers and Deuteronomy. We see, all, we see this, this narrative playing out, that God is directing their path in a certain way to draw out their faith. These Christians that the writer of Hebrews is writing to must have been discouraged and fr frightened and downtrodden. They left what they'd known to be true, their Jewishness, and now are believing in this Jewish Messiah. And now they're under intense pressure from the synagogue, from their peers, from their community, from the Romans. Some were shunned, others were jailed or beaten, and yet others were martyred for what they knew to be true. And the measure of their faith was known to them under the intense pressure of their circumstances. Even at this point, if you think that I'm exaggerating this at any, at any level, Jesus, in his own words, in Matthew 24, 9, says, And they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for, not, for my name's sake. We should not expect an easy life. We should not expect that. We should expect hardship. We should expect trials and tribulations because this is what Jesus tells us is going to happen. He's the one directing the affairs all around us. So what does this look like, though? How do I know that I'm going to be able to handle the circumstances when they come up. Because Jesus is going to give you courage to go through those. He's not going to give us something that we can't handle as long as we keep our eyes on him. Notice th these, these people's attitude changes in Exodus 
in, in, in verses 14, or I'm sorry, 21 and 22. As they start to cross the Red Sea, you don't see grumbling. You don't see them yelling at Moses. What are we doing, Moses? You don't hear their reply anymore. There's no questioning God. The people just seem to walk in an orderly fashion on dry ground with walls of water on either side. Faith? Absolutely. There's no doubt that there's faith here. This had never been done before. And they have ocean on either side of them. There are times when it looks like our faith can move mountains and others when it couldn't move a molehill. There's times when our faith is easy and times when it's extremely hard. There's times when all we can do, all our faith can be, as big as it can be, is left foot, right foot. Left foot, right foot. God's asking for our best, and at times our best is left foot, right foot. He'll do the rest. We're going to watch a short video, and uh, I think this, this exemplifies what, we're, what I'm saying here in this point. So uh, hopefully this plays. So, Coach, how strong is Westview this year? A lot stronger than we are. You already written Friday night down as a loss, Brock? Well, not if I knew we could beat them. Come here, Brock. You too, Jeremy. What, am I in trouble now? Not yet. I want to see you do the death crawl again, except I want to see your absolute best. <laughs> <laughs> what, you want me to go to the 30? I think you can go to the 50. <laughs> 50? I can go to the 50 if nobody's on my back. I think you can do it with Jeremy on your back. But even if you can, I want you to promise me you're going to do your best. All right. Your best. Okay. You going to give me your best? I'm going to give you my best. All right, one more thing. I want you to do it blindfolded. Why? Because I don't want you giving up at a certain point when you can go further. Get down. Jeremy, get on his back. I get a good tight hold, Jeremy. All right. Let's go, Brock. Keep your knees off the ground. Just your hands and feet. There you go. A little bit left. A little bit left. There you go. Show me good effort. That way, Brock. You keep coming. There you go. It's a good start. A little bit left. A little bit left. There you go, Brock. Good strength. That's it, Brock. That's it. Not the 20 yet? Forget the 20. You give me your best. You keep going. That's it. No, don't stop, Brock. You got more in you than that. Hey, done. Just rest in a second. You gotta keep moving. Let's keep moving. Let's go. Don't quit till you got nothing left. There you go. Keep moving. Keep moving. Keep moving, Brock. That's it. You keep driving. Keep your knees off the ground. Keep driving it. Your very best. Your very best. Your very best. Keep moving, Brock. That's it. That's it. That's it. Keep going. Don't quit on me. Keep going. Keep driving it. Keep driving. Keep your knees off the ground. That's it. Your very best. Don't quit on me. Your very best. Keep driving. Keep driving. There you go. There you go. That's it. You keep driving. Keep your knees off the ground. Keep driving it. Don't quit till you got nothing left. Keep moving, Brock. 
That's it. That's it. That's it. Keep going. I want everything you got. Come on, keep going. It hurts. Don't quit on me. Your very best. Keep driving. Keep driving. There you go. There you go. He's heavy. I know he's heavy. I'm bad out of strength. Then you negotiate with your body to find more strength, but don't you give up on me, Brock. You keep going, you hear me? You keep going. You're doing good. You keep going. Do not quit on me. You keep going. It hurts. I know it hurts. You keep going. You keep going. It's all hard from here. 30 more steps. You keep going, Brock. Come on. Keep going. Burn. And let it burn. It hurts and burn it. It's all hard. You keep going, Brock. Come on. Come on. Keep going. You promised me your best. Your best. Influential player on this team. If you walk around defeated, so will they. Oh, tell me you can't give me more than what I've been seeing. You just carried a 140-pound man across this whole field on your arms. Brock, I need you. God's gifted you with the ability of leadership. Don't waste it. Coach. Can I count on you? Yes. Coach? What is it, Jeremy? I weigh 160. Exemplifies what we're talking about here so well. That God's there encouraging us just one more step. Just go left foot, right foot. You don't have to trust me any more than that. Left foot, right foot. I will take care of the circumstances. Just trust me in what I'm doing here. The result of this faith is seen first in our praise of God. That's where it's first seen, is our praise of God. These people are commended for their faith, not because they move mountains, but because they trusted God one step at a time. It took some getting there, but they trusted God. Remember, the writer of Hebrews here is talking, is writing to these Jewish people, 
And they, they would have known this episode in their history. But, but their faith didn't stop with, with the crossing of the Red Sea. But it quickly moved into, in chapter 15, a song of deliverance. And, and I encourage you to read that this afternoon. It's an amazing song of deliverance in the next chapter. These people, after going through this experience, are crying out to God and praising him for everything that he's, that he's just done. God gets the glory. Because when we keep our eyes on him, others around us don't see feeble human beings. But they see God working through us. You saw that in the video, that, 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 that the further Brock went down that field, his teammates took notice. They stood up and they looked at him. They saw how much he was giving. They saw that he wasn't trusting in his own strength at that point, but was being cheered on by his coach. In a lot of ways, that's the way the world looks at us. That when we go through these hard times, when we go through these good times, regardless, we're praising God for the circumstances of our lives. The last thing that we see here is, is our obedience to God. These Israelites really showed their faith through obedience. Just like in the video, Brock could, could not see how far he had gone. He could not see how far he had carried that, that other man on his back. But his coach is, is, is sitting there, is screaming at him, encouraging him down the field. Because he knew he could do more. Brock couldn't see that. But his coach could. And wasn't, wasn't expecting him to go down the field, but simply to give his best. And his best was the next step down the field. That's his, that was his best. A step of obedience. At times, just like the Israelites as they crossed the Red Sea, left foot, right foot. And I think there's uh, something that we'll talk about, I think, in the next few weeks is, is a corporate aspect to this. You saw, again, his teammates standing up and taking notice. There's a corporate atmosphere to that team. There's a corporate at atmosphere to what we do here on Sundays. That's why we gather together. That's why we, we sing songs. That's why we pray together. That's why we learn together. There's a corporate aspect to this, that by ourselves, our faith is small. But together, our faith is enormous. Just as I started with at the beginning, we're in a fight. A fight with the devil, a fight with the world, a fight at our jobs. At times, could be a fight within our own families. But in the immortal words of Jimmy V, don't give up. Don't ever give up. 